talk about how I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. How I can be filled. Now, for those of us who may have already experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit, let me record this. Let me try a third time. <laughs> let me try and record this. No. No. All right. So we're going to talk about how I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, to those of us who have already experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the challenge is for us not to switch off. Because we think we've already experienced the Holy Spirit infilling, and therefore this part of the teaching is not applicable to us. But I want to read a scripture, Ephesians 5.18, where Paul said to the Ephesian church, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Paul would not tell a Spirit-filled church to be filled with the Spirit unless they needed to be refilled again and again. And so I want you that have already experienced this to also open your hearts to what the Holy Spirit will want to do in your life because we all need that fresh infilling. In fact, I believe that our church is at that place where it is desperate for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. However, although every born-again Christian has received the person of the Holy Spirit when they became Christians, when they received Christ, not every Christian, not every born-again Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul encourages the Ephesian believers to be filled with the Spirit. And like I already referred to it, this statement is in the present continuous tense where he's actually saying, be continuously filled. Or be being filled is the Greek. Be being filled with the Spirit. Or go on being filled over and over and over again with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is a difference between someone who is a Christian but has not been filled with the Spirit and someone who is a Christian and is filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a big difference. There is a difference in how they live their lives, in how they express their faith, in how they handle temptation, in how they overcome challenges and face crises. And um, it is important for us, and this is why I want to encourage you not to switch off, but to realize the importance of you being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts highlights five different occasions we can learn from when people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And these five different occasions um, touch on or show us five categories of people um, who were filled with the Holy Spirit. The first category is in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Well, from verse 1, says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a, sort of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you see, the posture of these believers was that they were longing to be filled. They were longing to be filled. They were wanting to be filled because they had heard Jesus tell them to wait for the promise. And so they were praying and waiting on God. Acts 1 tells us that they were all together waiting on God, about 120 of them waiting on God and longing and praying, not quite knowing what to expect. They knew that Jesus had said he would send the Spirit, but they didn't know how it would come. They had a blank slate, in other words, of what to expect. They didn't know what to expect. We can look back and we can learn from it, but they didn't know what to expect. And it happened suddenly as they kept longing for the Holy Spirit. The second category is outlined in Acts chapter 8 um, of the Samaritan believers. These were believers that Philip had preached to. After he had ministered to them, they had received Christ. They were ecstatic. They had seen miracles, healings take place under the ministry of Philip the Evangelist. They had been baptized in water. They, was, they were full of joy. They were in love with Jesus. Um, they were convinced of the gospel. They were born again. And, uh, and yet, they had not received the Holy Spirit. I want us to look at verses 14 to 17 in Acts chapter 8. It says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now these believers were receptive to the Holy Spirit. They were open to it. They had an experience with Christ. But he says the Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. They had not experienced this other experience or this other dimension of reality of the Holy Spirit. The third category of people outlined is hostile people, people who are hostile to the, out, the idea of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, the apostle who was first called Saul, is an example of this in Acts chapter 8, where he was completely outraged by the Christian faith, was set to destroy it. He began, and that's one of the reasons why Philip was in Samaria, because the church in Jerusalem was under tremendous persecution. But in Acts chapter 9, on the way to Damascus, Paul, the apostle, has an encounter with Jesus, and he is transformed by this encounter where he sees Jesus and Jesus reveals himself to him and he surrenders to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then our Lord Jesus appears to one disciple, probably a prominent leader, called Ananias and sends him to Saul, who later is called Paul, and tells him to go and pray for Paul so that Paul may receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, I want you to notice that Paul had already received Christ, was already convinced of the faith, was, as we would call it, born again. But yet he had not received the Spirit. 
And his posture before was hostile to the things of God and the things of the Spirit. And in verse 17 of Acts chapter 9, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there is no record in this narrative of what happened to Saul except that after he had been prayed for, scales fell from his eyes, he was baptized, and then he began to be boldly proclaiming the gospel. However, we can learn in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, the impact of the Holy Spirit on Paul's life when he said to the Corinthian church, a church of thousands, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. So clearly one aspect of the Holy Spirit's gift was very strongly operating in his life. And that began when he turned from being hostile to the Holy Spirit to receiving the Holy Spirit when Ananias prayed for him. The fourth category are those who are unlikely recipients, unlikely recipients of the Holy Spirit. In other words, people who don't quite qualify, who don't quite fit to receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, um, we find that uh, Peter, there's a guy called Cornelius, sorry, who has a visitation from an angel. And the angel says to him, go and send for someone called Simon and Peter, who will tell you what you're supposed to do, show you the way of salvation. It's interesting to me that the angel never preached the gospel to him. He had this tremendous vision. Just for in passing, angels aren't supposed to preach the gospel. So anybody who tells you that they got saved through the ministry of angels... You need to be looking at that because that's not their jurisdiction. And normally when people say things like that, they have attached with it other strange teachings that goes alongside their new revelation. Yeah, because angels are not given the mandate to preach the gospel to human beings. That's just for, by the by, I know this is alpha, but just for I just throw that in there. However, having said that, um, Peter also has a, a revelation from the Holy Spirit that he is supposed to minister to people who he didn't think qualified. And these were the non-Jews. Now, up until this point, all those who had received the Holy Spirit were Jewish. Up until this point, the church was predominantly Jewish. Uh, And then half-Jews, who were the Samaritans, they were half-Jews. But there weren't any non-Jews who had up until this point, received Christ. And so they were people who were not people who were expected to receive. And the point there is this. You might be here and you may think, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really think I qualify. Or I'm not ready, or I don't feel like I am quite there yet to experience the things that you're saying. Well, you're in good company. None of us qualify. None of us qualify. All of us are unlikely people who shouldn't be recipients of the Holy Spirit. And the last but not least are the uninformed. The uninformed. That is 
Christians who are not aware that they need the Holy Spirit in this way. They need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit because they're already believers. And you find this in Acts chapter 19. And I will read from verse um, 2. This is Paul comes to Ephesus and he meets certain disciples and says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What an interesting question. I wonder how many of you here are believers. And as believers, the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed or since you've believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. In other words, what are you talking about? I've heard of it. What do you mean? So he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, here again you see clearly the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. But these were believers who had been serving Christ. They had John baptism had led them a certain way, but they were following Christ now. But they hadn't even been baptized in water. And there are many sincere believers like this who feel like, you know, as long as they have Jesus, they don't need to do anything else. But the truth is that, yes, we have Jesus, but there's a lot. When we receive Christ, like we said earlier on, it is the beginning of a journey. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is crucial. But baptism is also important. So baptism, for instance, for anyone who's a follower of Christ, is not an option. It is not something that we have to think about. You know, let me, you know, I hear you, Pastor, but I'm not quite ready. Well, are you ready to follow Christ? If the answer is yes, then you have to be baptized, whether you feel ready or not. Otherwise, your faith is suspect. Um, it's strong words, but it's true words, because Jesus commands us to baptize those who are converted. But then, after they were baptized, he then lays hands on them. So, you know, sometimes you read these things and you think, it, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That's my old King James Version. Nay, we have not so much as heard as there be a Holy Ghost. Okay, and now what baptism? John's baptism. Oh, John baptized under baptism of repentance. But you should receive Christ. And then within a split second, boom, 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 boom. And then, dun, dun, dun. no, this is probably like two, probably like three, four hours. You know, just think it through. I spoke to them. Like, wow, never heard of it. Okay, wow. Okay, oh. Well, we need to baptize. Okay, well, they have to find water. They have to, I mean, because they didn't just say, okay, now water manifest. You know, they have to find water. You know, this is the Middle East. You know, it's not like, it's, you know, just on the tap down. Go into the thing and the bathtub and just fill it. No, they have to find water, get their clothes you know, to where it's decent, you know, probably because some of these people only have two changes of clothes on, like some of you have like 200 changes, you know, and then 
and then, and then say, go through the whole process. So it's a whole day affair. And then at the end of it, probably all tired. Okay, there's 12 guys, so it's not so many. And then after that, he lays hands on each of them. And stay awake, guys. I know the food was nice. This is spiritual food. Stay awake. And then, and then he lays hands on them, and then they're filled. So I just want to, to understand that it was a whole day affair. But nonetheless, they were uninformed. And perhaps you are here, and this is not something that you were aware of, what we're sharing. Well, you also qualify. Now, what happened to these people who experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit? In other words, what happens to us when we are experiencing this infilling? What takes place? Now, although experiences differ, some of the key things that we can observe are outlined in the New Testament. For instance, uh, I I am always cautious not to mention about different things people feel, but I heard Nicky Gamble say something quite useful. And that is sometimes when people receive the Holy Spirit, the experiences that go with it, because they weren't told, they're like, they don't know what's happening. So sometimes people feel like electricity going through them. Sometimes people feel heat in their body. Sometimes people feel trembly. Sometimes people feel like a warmth over them, a liquid over them. Sometimes people feel exhilaration, a, a happiness in them. that They just feel like laughing and they're like, what's wrong with me? And so they're fighting all these things, and nobody told them that's all the Holy Spirit. But if somebody told them, then they would be like, oh, okay, so it's really real. Um, on the other hand, when you say these things, people think, well, I'm not feeling anything. Therefore, my one can't be the real thing. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I definitely was feeling nothing, except my mind was full of a lot of doubts, because I was actually jogging. On the, my receive my Holy Spirit, not standing still. You know, my experience, I was actually jogging when it first happened, which is, I don't know of anybody who's got that record. Yeah, mine, I was jogging. Yeah. I know toilet seat ones, but mine, I was actually jogging. Yes. Um, yeah, okay, fair enough. No, but I do know toilet seat ones. Was that? Was that? No. Um, so, sorry. <laughs> um, the experiences are different. So, I just want to say that whether you feel something or don't feel something, what you need to look at is what the Bible has to say. So, a few things to point out. Number one, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the first thing is they felt, they experienced the presence and the power of God. In Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4, they, they heard the sound. It was like a tropical rain. I mean, that would be interesting if that happened here. And they saw cloven tongues like fire. But interestingly, in Cornelius' example in Acts chapter 10, nothing like that happened. There was no hurricane or tropical windstorm. There was no cloven tongues of fire. Yet, Paul, Peter said, they've experienced the same thing we experienced. In other words, it's not the outward manifestations you should look at to validate the experience. It's whether the experience is the Holy Spirit himself. So they experienced the presence and power of God. The second thing they experienced was they experienced the love of God. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the scripture tells us that God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we would feel is a sense of belonging 
and acceptance. I remember when I had my initial experience, when I reflect back, my mind, I said, now you're going mad. But at the same time, I remember there was this calmness, this kind of serene sensation, this peacefulness, and this sense of welcoming that now on reflection I can see. But at the time, I didn't understand all of it. All I could think of is, oh my goodness, what's going on here? Notice that in Acts chapter 10, when they were filled, they heard them speak with tongues and praising God. They were expressing their love for God. The third thing that happened to them is they expressed their love for God. I guess I've touched on it already. So they were praising God and they were speaking in tongues. And in Acts chapter 2, you find that when they were filled and others heard them speaking and could understand the language, they heard them declaring the wonderful works of God. Declaring the wonderful works of God. So they expressed their love for God. And that's one of the things, when you experience baptism, you want to express how you feel about God. Now sometimes... People feel like this is all too emotional, as if that's a bad thing. If, you've, if you are married or you've got a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, or whatever, you've ever been in that relationship, how would you feel if they said to you, you know, I don't, I don't want to be emotional. You know, I love you, but I'm not going to be showing it. I'm not, no. I just, you need to know how I feel about you, but I don't believe in showing emotion. How long will that relationship last for? <laughs> Emotions were given to us by God. And don't confuse being emotional with emotionalism. In other words, where you just react without understanding. The reality is that expressing our love for God is an important part of our faith in God. And when the Holy Spirit comes, things will happen where you would feel to express your love for God. And then the other thing is, very clearly you see in most of the examples, they received a new language. They spoke in other tongues. Now the word tongues relates to a language that the speaker has not learned. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, Paul tells us that the speaker, when they're speaking, it doesn't even understand what they are saying. Now, this language may be a human language or it may be an angelic language, but the speaker hasn't learned the language. First thing I want to say about this is that not all Christians will speak in tongues. Now, I am of the personal view, based on what I've re read in the scriptures, that every believer has the potential to speak in tongues. But not every believer will speak in tongues for whatever reason. Also, the fact that not all Christians speak in tongues doesn't make them a second-rate believer. It doesn't make them any less of a Christian. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love them um, as much as he loves the next person. The other thing is, is that speaking in tongues is not the best or most important of the gifts. However... In the New Testament, it's often the beginner's gift that helps to open our spirits to the other gifts. And 
in my view, and this is a personal view, it is probably the easiest of gifts to receive because it involves our willingness to surrender our hearts and words to the influence of the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is you're willing to surrender your heart and the words that come out of your mouth to the Holy Spirit's influence. Now, to the logical mind, it's a bit odd. It is. And it's a bit like too easy. But it's not meant to be logical, even though it's biblical. So, the second thing about this new language is that it is given to help us. God gives us this language to help us. How? In prayer. Paul said to the Corinthians that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. No one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, that word mysteries means he's saying things that God has already revealed to the church. And so the things that he's saying are hidden, but they've already been revealed. So as he's speaking, he's speaking things that has been revealed, but has been hidden to the natural mind. To the natural man. Also, apart from helping us in prayer, and I have found this, by the way, a tremendous help in my prayer life. So in the next five minutes, ten minutes that I bring my thing to a conclusion, um, I have found this praying thing a, um, a very good help. Thank you for that ten-minute reminder. Um, I have found this a very good help where um, um, at times, in fact, most of the time I struggle in prayer, most of the time. But speaking in tongues helps me to be able to communicate with God in a way that is so much easier and much more effective. So the other thing is this. It builds up the individual, the speaker. It strengthens you. It makes you feel stronger. Um, the first time I saw how powerful this was was when I deliberately decided after about three or four years, or three years or so speaking in tongues, it always struck me that what would happen, I, I used to think, what would happen if I spoke in tongues for a long time? Because I would just like speak in tongues like for 20 seconds or 30 seconds and hope, that's it, great, done. But I, I used to think, what would happen if I did this for a long time? And I remember doing it, I decided I'd do it for 30 minutes. I actually did it for 45 minutes. And that time, for the first time, I experienced a vision, a prophetic vision, that revealed the secrets of somebody to me. And from that time, when I saw this, this correlation, what do you think I'm going to do? If I need to know things about people. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. If I need to know stuff, I just think about praying tongues, and then see if I'm allowed to. Anyway, that's a, the, the other thing is this, it, it goes beyond, it transcends, it breaks the language barrier. Speaking in tongues. Because you see, our human language is limited. Whether it's English or whatever native language you speak, I'm privileged to be able to fluently understand two languages. And I find language fascinating. Um, even though I'm not interested in learning any other new language. I find it fascinating. But because I speak two languages very fluently, I realize how limited both languages are. English is a fantastic language. I think it's, I think it's a genius language. 
But there are some words in my native tree, um, even the word tree, some of you can't even say it. Try it, tree. You see, you're saying chi. I didn't say chi, I said tree. But the, the point is, that's just fascinating. The fact that there are some words in my language that I don't find an English equivalent. And there are many words in English that I don't find an equivalent in, in our language, uh, like radio. But anyway, let's move on. Radio. Yeah, yeah. let's move on. So, speaking in tongues helps go beyond the language, the limits of human language. Because we don't have to think about what we are saying for it to make sense to God. And also, it helps us to pray and praise God more freely. Another benefit is, believe it or not, speaking in tongues helps us to cope with pressure and stressful situations. Many of you don't because people say, what's the point of that? Hey, my friend, it helps. Sometimes you're in some things, you just don't know what to say. The most, oh, what the, what the, and then, you know, something, because you know, otherwise, otherwise, you might say something that you're not supposed to, but it actually helps to, to, to deal with your stress levels. And I read something very interesting. I read that a guy did a study on speaking in tongues and discovered there is a hormone in our brain that when we speak in tongues is released and that is the only, and, that, and it helps to deal with our, our immune system and stuff like that. And that is the only time that hormone is released. Which is amazing. This is a medical PhD person. He did this study and found this out. So I like that one. Amen. Maybe it has a weight reduction element. I don't know. If it does, we will exercise it. <laughs> and then... Um, and then it helps us to pray for others as well. It helps us to pray for others. And I think that's, again, something I found very helpful. Uh, the third thing I want to point out about speaking in tongues and why I think it's good to emphasize this is that there are other ways it helps us. It helps us to praise and thank God. Notice that uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 16, that when we are blessing with the Spirit, um, others will not understand our giving of thanks. You know, so at times when you're, you're speaking in tongues and praising God, you're actually praising God in the spirit, giving him thanks in the spirit. And then also it helps you to pray for yourself, to pray for yourself. Such a powerful tool. Um, yeah, so these are some of the benefits. So how should it be used? In other words, does the New Testament approve of how we use it? Because the New Testament definitely approves of this, this gift, but there are restrictions to it on how it should be used. And the context is that in public, we should be careful of excessive use. In other words, in public, there should be rules that governs how it's used. Now, I've heard many people say things like, well, then when the church is all together and we're praying in tongues together, that is not how it should be used. But my ar argument to that is, if that was the case, then clearly the Holy Spirit got it wrong on the day of Pentecost. Because all of them were praying in tongues together. And also in Acts chapter 10, they were all speaking in tongues together. So it cannot be that. You see, in the Corinthian church, what was happening was this. And you, you see the clue in something Paul said. 
He said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 9, yet in the church, he says in verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And what was happening in the Corinthian church was they were using tongues to teach each other. So please forgive this demonstration. This is not Alpha style, but we'll do it in CLF style. So they were doing something like this. That's totally ridiculous. That's, that's what they were doing. Because they were so fascinated by it, they were trying to instruct others with tongues. That's not the use, unless I interpreted what I did. Right? And I don't want to try and do that because that would devalue it. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that there's a way in which it's used publicly. So if I start to give out a tongue, I have, to, like in that manner, I have to bring with it an interpretation. Otherwise, I should stop. And the Bible says, speak to God. Speaking to God means I'm speaking to God. Now, if I'm just praying, and you look at me and you think, what's wrong with him? It's the same as me going, oh God, I praise you and I bless you. And you're looking at me and saying, what's wrong with me? I'm talking to God and you're wondering, mind your own business. So that is the context. Also, you have to be sensitive to people around you. Now, at times, I find that even in our context, because sometimes in our context, there is an overabundance of tongues, if we're honest. And we're not sensitive to some of our brothers and sisters who may not experience what we experience. And we have to be. That's part of walking in love. So if I am praying, let's say, with the three of us are mean to pray, and I know that my sister, who doesn't, has a struggle with speaking in tongues. And I said, well, let's pray, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that is insensitive. The Bible says that I am not actually doing well by her, you see. And I, I've done that before. I mean, many years ago in, in Polytechnic, um, I was praying for another believer, and we joined hands, and I just went from zero to 100 tongues. And he kind of froze. And then when I finished praying, I'm thinking, what's wrong with this guy? Then later on, he said he was terrified <laughs> when he saw how I was praying. He thought, what was happening to Joseph? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so how you pray privately, that's fantastic. But how you pray and use it publicly should be with wisdom. And then how do we receive this ability? We ask for the gift and then cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Um, some of the ways is you start to thank and praise God uh, in any other language than what you normally speak. So you start and you just open your heart and begin to praise him. And as a word forms in your heart, you just say that word and don't think about it. It's as easy as that. Sometimes it's just one or two words at first. I remember praying for someone at the bus, um, train station. He was a former Muslim. And he, we were talking. He said, I want to receive this thing. I said, really? He said, okay. And so I laid my hands on him, and we began to pray. I just said, okay, Lord, bless him. And then his name was Muhammad. That was his name. 
and he began to speak in tongues. And I remember how he said it. He went, Santa, Santa Maria, Santa, and then just went off. And so, and then he was, but I, I, I could figure out some of the words. He Santa Jesus Maria, something like that. I could figure out some of the words because it kind of sounded a bit Italian, you know. And I'm not Italian, so I don't know. But it sounded like Holy Jesus, Mother, Holy Jesus, uh, um, um, and something to do with Mary as well. So then he began to worship. And I've also heard people speak in tongues in my native language when they don't. Now, when I say native, okay, my native language is English, but it's also tree. So my native tree language. He was worshiping Jesus, just worshiping, just singing in my native language. So just begin to praise God, focusing on Jesus, who's the giver. The gift is important for sure. Manifestations are great, but don't look at that. Uh, So in conclusion, you surrender your heart to Jesus, you surrender your heart to the Holy Spirit's leadership, and you desire it. You ask God for it. You cooperate with him. You believe And then you persevere. And as you do that, there will be a few things that will try to stop you. One would be doubt. You know, Jesus is so aware of doubt that in Luke chapter 11, from verse 9 to 13, he teaches us about how we should ask for the Holy Spirit specifically. We should ask six times. He said, ask and you shall receive and keep, seek, and you shall find. And then it says, everyone who asks and receives, everyone who seeks and finds. And it's relating specifically to the Holy Spirit there. So doubt will try and come in your mind. This is just me. Second thing is fear. What if it's a demon and not really God? But Jesus tells us, if you ask your father for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask him for fish, he's not going to give you a snake. And if you ask him for an egg... He's not going to give you a serpent, a scorpion, okay? And then the third thing is that, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not ready. I'm not adequate enough. God gives you the Holy Spirit because he loves you, not because you're adequate. And so I want to encourage you with these things. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Am I handing over to you? Are we doing ministry? Oh, wonderful. So, so we're, I'm gonna, we're going to pray, and... Uh, I don't know if um, we have any of the, the, the musicians. Okay, maybe not yet. Um, but how I want us to do it is, I want you to just open your hearts to God right now. And just uh, allow the Holy Spirit who is here to minister to you. The Holy Spirit, is, he is here. I don't want anyone to feel under any pressure of any kind. No. You don't have to feel like you have to uh, try and perform and do something to fit in, no. Um, But how I want us to do it is this. If you are saying to the Lord, Lord, I, I I want more of your Holy Spirit. I want to be filled. Maybe you're here, you've never had that experience and you want to have that experience. Or maybe you've had the experience, but you're feeling dry and empty. Maybe you're feeling like, you know, you need a fresh outpouring. I want you to stand, if that is you. Either you, uh, you want to have the experience, or you feel like you've been dry and empty. I, w- I would like you to stand, if that is you. 
so that we can get ready to pray and minister with you. If you are saying to God, this is what you want, why don't you stand right now? Thank you, Holy Father. Thank you, Holy Father. Don't, don't be shy. Don't feel under pressure. If you don't want to stand, that's cool. But we want to pray with you. We want to minister to you. We want to bless you. And as you stand in, and um, I would like you, those of us in this place as well who, um, for instance, you, you're looking at your life. You've been in the church for a while, but you're dry. You're feeling empty. You're feeling, you're feeling like, you know, you need a fresh start. You also stand. You also stand. We want to minister to you. We want to bless you. As you stand, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. Just lift your hands to him. I want um, Steve and Enoch and Charlotte and um, Angela and Andrew, some of the ministers and so forth. I want you, and, and Lindsay, I want you to just help us to begin to pray with some of these people. If any of the ministers are here, if I haven't mentioned your name, but you're here and you want to help us in praying for people, Adiola, feel free. Um, some of the leaders here as well, like Todd and um, Frankie and Sabrina, um, Ruth and different ones. If you want to pray with people, please feel free just to go next to the people and let's just begin to minister to um, those who are standing right now. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to them. And when you go to them, I want you to be sensitive to the Lord. So what we're going to do is we're going to praise God. We're going to bless God. We're going to honor the Lord. Um, we're going to worship the Lord. Um, so as they're standing there, I want you to get their focus on the Lord Jesus and um, uh, maybe uh, Anastina and, uh, and uh, Brenda with uh, Roger can help us with the worship and so forth. We just spend some time and minister to the Lord. So let's just do that now. Let's begin to reach out. Uh, pl please feel free to get the people to come out of the aisle and uh, talk with them. If you're a host as well, and you want to pray with people, so Pauline, if you want to pray with people, feel free, please. Um, but let the Holy Spirit lead you. Don't just start praying with them. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Begin to reach out. Father, we want to we wanna thank you. We want to thank you for these ones that have stood right now. We want to bless your name. We want to honor you, Jesus. Sando robo sianda yarabaka. You know what? If there's no um, thing, what, do we have any music, any worship in the background? Can we do that? Yeah? Maybe we should do that instead. Yeah? Thank you.